Where do they start, Nate? How do you get there? Yes, well, let's start at the beginning. So M1 and M2 years, the preclinical years, these are key, first and foremost, I think, to establish that really you're even interested in emergency medicine. So are you saying that we need to decide on this in the first year of medical school? No, no, I'm not, I'm not saying that. But uh, the preclinical years are an opportune time to begin to explore specialties, explore interests, and find out what really gets you excited. Uh, within medicine because once you start your clinical training you're going to find that you may have a lot less time to read about really anything that's not on the next exam and by the end of your third year beginning of your senior year you're going to have to start planning for the actual application process so it does sneak up on you pretty quick. Oh man it goes by fast yeah so if you can take some time in those preclinical years to kind of think reflect explore um, a lot of different options and, and try to talk yourself out of emergency medicine if you feel confident that's what you're going into. Um, and Nate, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't commitment to emergency medicine something programs really value? Absolutely. Uh, so not only does it make sort of intuitive sense, right, that residencies want applicants who are committed to the specialty, the data actually support it also. So in the latest program director survey, the 2018 uh, version came out this year, published by the NRMP, the people who actually do the match. Uh, they looked at the responses of a little over 90 programs out of the about 220 programs that exist. And programs were asked what is important to them to invite an applicant to come interview. Um, and perceived commitment to the specialty was actually cited by the majority of the programs with an importance rating of, uh, on their scale, greater than four out of five. Hmm. Okay. So it means that things, even that they're doing early on, can really have a meaningful impact when applying for the residency program. Right, and, and I think ways of showing commitment are things like uh, shadowing, doing clinical experiences, uh, doing research, or having work experiences in areas related to emergency medicine, uh, being a part of the EM interest group, and developing that meaningful narrative of why you think EM is right for you. And I guess that all leads to the dreaded personal statement. Uh, right. And another thing in the first two years of medical school that is crucial, studying. I was afraid you're going to say that. Well, it's true. Um, now, I'm going to be honest with you all and say that I don't think that emergency medicine is the most competitive specialty um, uh, from a number of perspectives. I mean, our specialty doesn't necessarily seek out the highest number of publications. We don't have the, the highest average USMLE or COMLEX scores. Um, and actually, we've also steadily expanded the number of residency positions at about the same rate as the number of students applying. Except for 99. We didn't expand the number of positions that year. Well, that's right, Scott. The only year since 1983. But uh, at the same time, um, this year, emergency medicine was the fourth largest rankable uh, specialty in the match among allopathic seniors and uh, the third largest among osteopathic seniors. And if you break down the numbers even further and see that residency programs are typically getting 100 or more applications per spot, you kind of get a sense of the enormity of the thing. That's a lot of applications to go through, yeah. Yeah, it is, which, which brings me back to the importance of studying, not, not just for your own benefit, of course. I mean, studying is great because you need to learn a lot, but your performance on USMLE Step 1 or Comlex uh, Level 1 is 
going to be one of the most important factors from your preclinical years to determine how competitive you are. So Nate, I think what you're talking about is that commitment to EM, involvement of the interest group, doing well in step one, and these things are very important in your first and second years. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes. And uh, getting involved in scholarly work, uh, doing projects, putting together posters, giving presentations, being a part of a publication or two or three. I mean, these are all things that you can start on during your preclinical years uh, and continue on throughout the rest of medical school. Uh, but hey, Scott, so let's turn the clock forward a bit. Uh, M3 year starts and now you're in the clinics, on the wards, maybe even in the emergency department. Um, what should students be doing at this point to yeah. set themselves apart? Man, this is really our wheelhouse, Nate. This is where the clerkships happen. This is where the, the rubber meets the road and where you really want to shine. So we, we've talked about the EM philosophy before. And so, you know, you could probably check out some of our past episodes. We got one on how to run third year like a boss, uh, dominate your clerkship, how to present patients like a pro. So check out those past episodes. And those are really kind of prescriptive. Um, the highlights there are, you know, understanding that EM philosophy. I mean, there's two questions you want to ask and shoot for in the way that you approach your patients in the emergency department that are different than any other in the hospital. First thing is, you have the implicit bias and assumption that the person in front of you is gonna die. I don't care if it's an ear infection, prove to me you're not gonna die from this ear infection. And when you have that mindset, everything falls in place. Second thing is, where am I going with this? Let's have a DTR, where's this relationship going? Are you gonna go to the ICU tonight? Are you gonna go, you know, who's gonna take you home? So that's what you want to think about. Are you going to die in front of me? Prove it to me. And then where are we going with this? It's all about a destination and a disposition. Um, with the presentation, it needs to be filtered. You've got to use the review systems for a rule out serious. That's what ROS stands for in emergency medicine, rule out serious. And your exam is not just a long list of unnecessary findings, but you are communicating your differential diagnosis by implying pertinent negatives and positives to your physical exam. You season that with a little bit of some evidence-based medicine, a little bit of stuff off MD-Calc, and uh, you know you get specifics and commit to a plan. And that's the perfect recipe for an EM stud. What do you think, Nate? Um, I, I agree with that 100%. I, I would add to that, you know, I think teamwork also is a critical skill, especially in your clinical years, especially on our rotations. and. Uh, you know, we, we do actually talk to the residents, we talk to the nurses, and we talk to the staff, and we say, hey, you know, what did you guys think about this student? Is this someone that you could see working here that you could work with for the next three to four years? Um, so making sure that you're not just focusing on the patients and doing it accurate and a good job with them, I mean, obviously that's important, but being a good team player, too, I think is, is critical. Oh, yeah, I think emergency medicine of all the specialties is maybe the biggest team sport, you know, so you've got to yeah, be able yeah. to be coachable and part of a team. Uh, but you know, Nate, I'm, I'm kind of evolving my perspective a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit more philosophical oh, these days. Oh, so. right, here we go. Uh, so I'm reading Jordan Peterson's book, 12 Rules for Life. You read that? Uh, no, I haven't. Yeah, so Peterson's got 12 rules, and I, I'm not going to list all 12 of them, but I think a lot of them might apply to an AM stud. Uh, first one, stand up straight with your shoulders back. My wife critiques my posture. I need to work on my posture. Uh, but Peterson looked at some biological data on lobsters and their little tentacles, when they had low serotonin levels, were all droopy. The really dominant, big lobsters that got the food had very good posture of their tentacles, and their serotonin levels were the same. So confidence, posture, nonverbal communications are really critical in emergency medicine. You got two minutes to gain rapport with a patient. They either like you or they don't, they think binary. And so you gotta get in there, gain rapport, 
get that procedure. They're gonna trust you to put that central line in when you stand up straight with your shoulders back. Also, the, uh, the power pose by Amy Cuddy. Have you seen that? So Amy Cuddy is a Harvard psychologist, and she does this work on, on, again, kind of confidence levels and performance based on posture. And so you've seen her probably on the TED Talk stage. She does this Wonder Woman pose where she, she has this like powerful pose, you know, straight posture, chest out, arms back, kind of like a superhero pose. And her data says that if you do that a few minutes before something very high stress, like an exam or like a uh, procedure or an interview, you perform better. Next thing is uh, number two, treat yourself like someone you're responsible for helping. Nate, did you know that people have better medication adherence for their pets than they do for themselves? <laughs> I, I don't, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I mean, you take better care of your pets than yourself. That's crazy. But this is something you need to do. You've got to take care of yourself. You've got to practice wellness. You've got to take care of your emotional health, your physical health, your spiritual health. You've got to take care of yourself in these hard years of medical school and residency. So treat yourself like someone you're responsible for caring for. First, help yourself. Uh, rule three, make friends with people who want the best for you. Nate, you got any friends that want the best for you? I hope so. <laughs> you, maybe? I want the best of you, Nate. <laughs> well, yeah, so surround yourself with people that are there to help you. I mean, you've got psychologists at your medical school, you've got mental health counselors, you've got test prep people, you've got mentors, you've got wonderful leaders in a room, you can talk to us. I mean, I'm sure if you email Nate at his personal email address, he will read every one of your personal statements and provide individual feedback in less than 24 hours. Yes, yes, I know, I won't. Results may vary. <laughs> but find a mentor, we've talked about that. Uh, let's see, number four, I love this one. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday not to who someone else is today. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to someone else and who they are today. It is very intimidating. I mean, there are some wickedly smart people in this room, much smarter than us, Nate. And if you're always comparing yourself to someone else, you're gonna end up very depressed, very disappointed. You're gonna feel very, very sad about yourself. So take a look at yourself. Measure those small goals we talked about and try to improve yourself from who you were yesterday. And don't worry about the people around you. They may have strengths and areas that you have weaknesses in, that's fine. But they also might have weaknesses in areas that you have strengths as well. Five, pursue what is meaningful, not what is expedient. And that's kind of a deep thought there, but you know, don't cut corners. Don't major in minor things. Don't get hung up on all the little things that might happen in your life. Follow what is meaningful in your life. I mean, let's think about it. What are you here to do? You're here to take care of patients. You're here to save lives. You're here to be a superhero. I mean, that is meaningful. So don't get stuck on a step three test question, okay? Don't get stuck on an MBME test question. Follow what is meaningful, not what is expedient. Only got two more here. Um, six, tell the truth, or at least don't lie. Honesty is key in medicine. If you didn't examine something, you didn't ask a question, I would much rather have a medical student that comes to me and says, you know what, I did not answer that question. I didn't ask it, I didn't do that physical exam finding. Uh, I'm gonna do better next time. That, I just can't tell you how much that creates respect yeah. and yeah. trust. Yeah, I agree, I agree. Last one, uh, be precise in your speech. Find out how to communicate more saying less. When you present your patient, we don't have 
30 minutes like we do in the IMED. We got two minutes, okay, two minutes. So you gotta find out how to communicate a lot of information using very few words. And you gotta be precise in your speech. I mean, if you come and have a student that wants to give somebody some pain medicine, well, that's one area. But what if they say, well, I wanna give them some morphine? Oh, okay. Well, I wanna give them morphine, 0.1 milligrams per kilogram. Oh, good, every Q4 hours. I don't put them on a monitor to make sure they don't desex. We're giving them a lot of opiates. I mean, that's specific. So, I mean, these are some things that I think you can really become an EM stud if you follow some of these rules for life. Absolutely. I, I agree 100%. You know, one last thought that I want to leave you all with here um, in this episode is that it is so important throughout medical school to, to remember to take care of yourself. Uh, medical school is hard. It's not just difficult academically, but also physically and emotionally. Um, there are a lot of new and sometimes difficult things that you'll experience, and uh, quite frankly, it, it will take a toll. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, burnout's something we've talked about in the episode before. I think we're going to hear from Dr. Doty today uh, in a similar topic, uh, but it's something we really need to realize and, uh, and be aware of. Burnout happens in medical students, too. Yeah, so, so get to know your fellow students. Um, if you see someone or, or if you feel like yourself, you're, you're becoming less enthusiastic about your work, you're um, kind of searching for the, the real reason why you're there, you're, you're losing track of why this is worthwhile, or, or maybe just worrying all the time or feeling anxious or guilty or, or even depressed. Those can be signs of burnout. And it's really important. Uh, make sure you got some friends, okay? I see you guys sitting in groups today. Find some close friends. Find somebody you can confide in. Find a non-medical person, okay? Uh, find that mentor. Make sure you've got this circle of, uh, of care that can wrap you up in a time when you're stressed out. Get some help. So, Scott, that about does it. Yeah. We just told everyone how to kick butt at medical school in less than an hour. Uh, we talked about emotional intelligence. We talked about grit. We talked about exploring your interests and studying in M1 and M2 year, how to excel in third and fourth year, and most importantly, to take care of yourself. I, I have nothing more to say. That Man, is, I'm, that I'm is out. The, I'm exhausted. the end yeah. of our podcast. Really, yeah, I'm done. Because I've shared all my wisdom. Uh, well, hey, this has uh, been really fun. And thanks again to everyone who invited us uh, to come out and then uh, immediately regretted it once we started speaking. <laughs> we'll have to edit that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Still working on that. Crisper. Okay. And for those of the audience that are at home, uh, we'd like to learn more about the Clerkship Directors in Emergency Medicine or the EM Stud Podcast. Feel free to visit our website at www.cdemcurriculum.com. That's Clerkship Directors in Emergency Medicine.com. Uh, and for more of our episodes, check out www.emstud.com or subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. We're also on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Help, Hulu, Clicks, what? Amazon Prime. No, we're not. You're just making that up. Instagram, Snapchat? ABC? Oh, hey, that'd Showtime? be neat. I'd, I'd love to be a guest star on uh, season six of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s all new episodes coming out <laughs> summer of 2019. Check it out. Nate, I don't think they're listening to this podcast, buddy. Anyways, guys, it's been a lot of fun. Good luck to all you EM studs out there listening. And we want to challenge you guys to be your best moving forward. Rotate well, my friends. All right, so we got some questions, is that right? Yeah, what questions from our immediate audience? We'll do a few here if we run low. Yes, ma'am. How do you really demonstrate that in that's a good question. All right, so the question was, if I'm understanding correctly, we talked about grit and how that's important, but how do you really communicate that in an ARIS application? 
behind sort of a, a digital wall where we can't really get to know you very well. Um, you know, my, my thoughts on that, uh, I, I think there's really two ways to show that in your application as you apply for emergency medicine residency. Um, the first being is that academically your record is going to reflect that, I think, to some degree. I think a lot of uh, clerkship directors and people who work with medical students recognize that the students who tend to perform the best are the ones that do show up and work hard and are part of the team, uh, which is why we don't simply just rely on test scores for everything. So if you're a student who has excelled in all of your clerkships um, throughout your third year and your fourth year and gotten honors or, or A's or however your grading system works, I, I think that's the, a key way to show that. Um, those comments actually will also be uh, comments that you get on your clerks will actually also be reflected in your dean's letter, the medical student's performance evaluation. So that information does end up getting in there. Now, the, the second way to show that during application season is on an interview. Um, and, you know, we sort of take interview day as sort of a, a gauge as to how you would perform on an actual shift. So if you show up late to an interview, that may be something that we look at, saying, is this person going to show up late to their shift? Um, are they engaged? Are they talking to people? Do they look like someone who's, who's really here to, uh, to commit themselves to specialty and, and wants to do well? Yeah, I'll, I'll add to that, Nate. That's really good advice. I'll also say that I think character virtues are better demonstrated than talked about. And you're talking about character virtues. Uh, so there's objective data. In my clerkship, we count how many procedures and encounters you log, and that is one measurement objectively as your work ethic. Okay? I could say you're a hard worker. But if I say something like, you know, this student, she saw more patients and did more procedures than anybody this year. That speaks for itself. Uh, in the interview, I tell students to find about three or four study or stories that you can tell that demonstrate overcoming obstacles, that demonstrate courage, that demonstrate persistence, perseverance, and determination. So if you can bring out those character qualities and stories that are real and palpable, that are personal, that's your time to share those. Yeah. Great question. Yeah. What else? Uh, Nick said there's about 100 applications for each residency spot. What is something on the application that jumps out to you guys right away? So I'll repeat the question for those that can't hear. So the question, if I'm hearing you correctly, says there, there are about 100 applications per slot for each residency spot. What stands out to us on the application that is important? Well, you know, and actually, uh, if any of you want to go look this up, this data is freely available on the NRMP website. You can pull up the program director survey and all sorts of match statistics, um, which is where, you know, we get a lot of our data we talk about on this show. Um, what stands out primarily, uh, and we've talked about this on other episodes, are things like USMLE or complex performance, things like performance on an actual audition rotation, an EM rotation, and your away rotation. Um, other things that tend to be important, um, actually things that you may not think about, but you know, what's your visa status? You know, what's, what's your ability to actually you know, come work here as, um, as an employee? And I'll also just mention this, um, unfortunately another one of the things that really stands out are failures of step uh, exams, step one or step two exams. Some programs will actually use those things or a specific score cutoff um, as a filter uh, and exclude uh, some students from uh, from being invited to interviews. Also, uh, international students, I think, have a harder time getting interviews on anything. Yeah, else I mean, Nate's, Nate's got a lot of objective things. You've got to have a clean application. I mean, they're not looking at who the best and shiniest is. They're just trying to show me that you're going to be a safe resident, okay? So if you've got a bunch of red flags in your application, and I think there's a, a session on that this afternoon that might better answer this question, but I'm talking beyond the red flags. So stuff that looks good to me, 
Um, everybody knows what an Eagle Scout is, okay? You made Eagle Scout, that's, that, that shows hard work and determination. So that's something that's like, wow, this person can do something impressive. If you're an EMIG president, that sounds good. If you have been active in research and you're applying to a program that's very active in research, that lands well. Now I'll tell you, if you're not a research uh, guru, I'm not, I don't like research, so that's okay at our program. And there's different styles and cultures of programs. Um, one of the big things I'll say is getting honors in that away rotation. If you can show up with average step scores, but you can nail the rotation and run that clerkship like a boss, get honors, man, that overcomes a, a lot of sin if you can do that. Great question. Um, clerkshipdirectorsonly.com okay. <laughs> oh, you, you, it matched us up how did we get connected to do the podcast is that your question oh I don't remember actually I, I think we uh, we searched each other out we found each other on the internets and the twitter sphere and then we got, we got together at the uh, CDM I guess the uh, Accord it was Cord oh, that, that we got yeah, together yeah Accord yeah, yeah Accord yeah. that was our first date was Cord yeah yeah, yeah. it went well yeah you can tell huh? So the question I'll repeat for the audience is, if I find somebody that I want to have as a mentor, how do I really propose to, would you mentor me? So she, get down on one knee, <laughs> all right, bring a cup of coffee and raise it up, say, would you mentor me? What do you think, Nate? Yeah, sure, uh, bringing a cup of coffee. Uh, <laughs> if, if you bring me a cup of coffee, then yeah, that usually seals the deal. Um, I, I think the first way to do this is um, actually not in person. Um, it can be rather intimidating even to us to have a student randomly show up and say, hey, you know, I, you know, I want to chat with you for an hour. And um, unfortunately, some of our schedules just don't allow that. So that first email allows um, uh, that potential mentor to kind of step back and assess, you know, do I really have time to take on another student? Is this something that I'm, I'm able to do well? Um, and then they can reply back uh, sort of when, when they're able to, and it doesn't put them on the spot. So I, I would actually prefer, at least personally, to get that in email form first. I would like to vehemently disagree. I'm personal. I, I like relationships. So if you just show up on a shift and you're like, hey, I'm a, I'm a medical student. Can I, can I hang out for a little bit? Like, yeah, well, let's go see some patients. And you hang out. Maybe uh, you're at a conference like this. You pull us aside and you're like, hey, this sounds pretty cool. Uh, can we hang out more? I mean, it's just like dating, right? How do you date? So there's electronic forms of communication and there's personal forms of communication because it is a relational contract, right? It's not covenantal, but it's a relational contract. So uh, I think personally, if you just want to show up or maybe email, say, hey, is there a shift I can come by? And then, you know, hey, I'm, I'm really looking for a mentor. Do you know anyone that would be willing to mentor a student like me? You know, you seem pretty cool. Do you have any friends that are like that? Uh, would you maybe want to mentor me? I, I, I go personal, yeah. You can see the variation and diversity of approaches. Yeah, I mean, I... I, I I, I don't disagree with you at all, Scott. There's um, also, I think, just uh, <laughs> some logistical challenges. So, for example, at VCU, we have uh, a shadowing program. Um, and for a student to show up just randomly in the emergency department, it's sort of tough for us to, to, to then, you know, assign them someone to shadow with when we have people on a wait list. And we actually have a formal way of processing students and getting them security clearance. Um, and so just being aware of that process and going through the normal uh, channels no for that. No backdoor approach, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it, good. It Respect kinda, the process. Yeah. yeah. 
can make things a little difficult, but yeah. that's a good question. Um, another question, speaking of emotional intelligence, if I'm a Michael Scott, how do I become a Jason Bourne? <laughs> wow. Uh, to repeat the question, on emotional intelligence, if I'm a Michael Scott, how do I become a Jason Bourne? There are tons of books out on emotional intelligence. Uh, Daniel Goldman, I think, is an author that I might direct people to. And the title of his book is, I think, Emotional Intelligence 1.0 and 2.0. So there are a lot of books out there about training. I think the first thing that I've taken away from some of those books and that I'm working on myself and practicing is you have to have a feedback loop. Um, who knows what Dunning and Kruger are? Those guys. No? Dunning and Kruger, amazing guys. So psychologists that did studies... And they found out that most of the time when you do crazy things, you are unconscious and unaware. So you don't even know. Michael Scott does not know that he has a low emotional intelligence. He is totally unaware of his incompetence. And the more competent you think you are, that's called arrogance, uh, the less competent you are. So you want to arrive at unconscious competence. I don't know if I've lost you right now, but you want to arrive at a place where you're on autopilot, you're doing well, and you don't even know why you do well. But to get to that location, you have to first become aware of your faults. You have to have awareness. So the first step is humility, understanding that you're not perfect, and willing to learn something new, and be told that you're not perfect, okay? Mom says you're perfect, you're not perfect. So that takes feedback, it takes a mentor, it takes recording yourself. I always talk about the presentation selfie. Pop that camera, go in a bathroom, do a one-minute presentation, watch it, listen to it. It hurts. It's bad. You're going to seize. You're going to fall on the floor, puddle of urine. You get up uh, and you collect yourself and you go out and you give that presentation. Uh, but it takes feedback. It takes humility. And it takes uh, an ability to want to do something well. It takes grit to go through that process to gain emotional intelligence. Um, so this question kind of so you discussed, when you were discussing grit in your presentation, you talked about um, some micro skills and procedures and improving those. What are some micro skills and procedures that you all recommend being in So the question is, uh, with grit, what are some procedures and micro skills that you feel are important as you develop into an EM stud? Yes. Well, you know, I, I, I do want to be sensitive to the fact that we're, we're not recommending that you record patients um, first and foremost and recording yourself doing things on, on live patients. But, you know, say for simulation, for example, I think simulation has been incorporated into a lot of medical schools' curriculums. You know, if, if you're able to record that or at least get real-time feedback on things even like uh, communication, using closed-loop communication, I mean, I would consider that a procedure, honestly. Leading a team, using closed-loop communication, discussing and, and you know, talking about how you're, um, how you're even treating other people on the team. That's something that I would, um, I would recommend that all EM studs look at, you know, just team dynamics and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think if you're talking about how to, how to watch that, our school does graded sims for our students, and we let them watch their own cases, pay attention to the standardized patient comments, take them seriously, and, and watch yourself interact with patients, watch yourself take a history, watch yourself explain things and you're gonna pick up on stuff you wouldn't have before. And that's just taking care of patients. I think for procedures, you talk about things like abscess, IND, simple laceration repair. As you're moving into fourth year, then you're talking more about maybe chest tube, maybe central line, maybe basic airway skills, advanced airway skills. I mean, those are some things that kind of come to mind as you look through kind of maybe five to 10 required procedures. Next is ultrasound. Get together with some buddies. Who's got an EMIG interest group that allows them to use ultrasound? We do that. And so ultrasound each other. 
critique each other on your ultrasound, get feedback on those procedures. So as long as you're doing something and getting feedback and you're doing that deliberate practice, I think you're on the right track. Next question was about, you used to talk about showing interest in emergency medicine. So what if um, I just found out that I like him, but it's kind of late in the third year, early in the fourth year. How do you kind of show that passion when it's kind of late in that uh, application? So to repeat the question so everybody can hear it, I found out about emergency medicine as a third or fourth year. I'm kind of late coming. I didn't have the you know, momentum from first and second year. How do I then demonstrate active interest in emergency medicine? Nate, this is your topic. What do you think? Yeah, well, so let me start by saying uh, deciding to pursue a career in emergency medicine during your third year is absolutely fine. I don't, I don't think that's late at all. Um, the only reason why deciding late can be a disadvantage, and I want to emphasize the word can, because there are students every year who are late deciders who, who are very successful and, and don't have uh, issues necessarily. But the only reason why it really can be an issue is just really the logistics of scheduling your fourth year. And this depends on your school. Uh, this is where you want to meet with your dean's office or meet with a, a local faculty advisor. You really need to do an emergency medicine rotation in your fourth year, an acting internship in your fourth year, and then at least one additional away rotation. And I'm not going to get into right now how many you're supposed to do and the controversy surrounding that, but uh, needless to say, you need to do two EM rotations. And you need to ideally do those EM rotations in time to get a letter of evaluation written for you reflecting your performance on those evaluations by October, which is when the programs will start to actually sift through the applications that they're given. And if you get those two letters of recommendation or those slows is what we call them, after that, you may still be fine. We do have rolling admission uh, interview processes. Um, and so students who are doing their first away rotation or second rotation in November uh, can still match successfully, but the earlier you do that, I think the less stress there is, the easier it is to schedule things. If something falls through, it's just, it's just a little bit easier. So, so that's really the only um, sort of thing I, I, would, I would bring up as being the, you know, the logistical challenges of deciding late. Um, we all recognize, of course, that medical school is very short. We only expose you to a very limited number of specialties. Uh, and so it is not uncommon at all for people to say, hey, look, I, I really, you know, maybe emergency medicine was in the back of my mind in the beginning of first year, then I really got, you know, caught up in something else, but now I'm coming back around to it. We, we don't see that as a fault. You know, we see that as just the realities of medical education. So um, if you're able to express that, especially in your personal statement on your interviews, I don't think that um, any of us would look at that negatively and say, oh, well, why did you decide last minute? You can look through and say, you know, I was dermatology interest group chair person and did all this other kind of stuff and skin biopsies every day, but then all of a sudden I want emergency medicine. This is time for the personal statement. And I'll tell a story. I mean, Satara is one of the second year residents here, I guess, at UK? Third. Third, yeah. So she was, she was uh, I, I mentored her. She was an AM student. And I remember very well, I mean, we were like crying sitting at the playground at our children's hospital because she came to me in September was like, Dr. Weeders, I think I want to do emergency medicine, but all up until now I want to do surgery. Can I please do this? I don't know how it's going to work. So we dried the tears. We got a plan together, and she nailed it. She's fantastic, and I hope she's doing well now. Uh, but there is hope for you. We've had people that have done, um, you know, stop their orthopedic application and then come to emergency medicine. I know a guy that did a whole three years of plastic surgery and became emergency resident. Urology for three years did emergency medicine. Finished internal medicine, then did emergency medicine. Finished family medicine, did internal medicine. So these are our residents in the past. It's not too late. Uh, there may be a more circuitous path, but it's never too late.
I wouldn't say never, but usually not too late. <laughs> think we have time for one more question or? So the question is, what is the lifestyle of a resident in emergency medicine? Hard. I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but my residents always seem to be going on vacation, so I <laughs> apparently it's not very hard. No, it's tough work. I think it's uh, probably three of the more challenging years of your life, and that's why you're hearing us talk so much about burnout. Um, it's challenging. It's intense. It's emotionally and physically demanding. The stuff we see is bad. It's bad. And uh, I can think of a few cases that keep me up at night. It ages you. And, right. Yeah, me, me too, for sure. And, it, and it's not, it doesn't all just come down to the hours or you know, the number of shifts and things like that. I mean, during residency, really any residency, you're being asked to do things that you've never done before and make decisions that you've never had to make before. And that, that is stressful. That, that can be very stressful. Yeah, I mean, that's why you heard me make examples like, this is like going through West Point. This is like going through Navy SEAL training. It's not for the meek. Um, you better have your, your stuff together, and it takes grit to get through that. And that's why you're hearing some of the concepts we brought up today about what it takes to do well. It's hard. It's hard. But the fact that you're here, the fact that you're interested, is a great first step. You know? That shows engagement. That shows that you want to do better. If you're showing up on your own Saturday to come take a look at what it takes to be an EM stud, you're on the right track. Bye.